0: Have you ever been blamed for something you didn't do? Uh, What was it? Who blamed you? How do you feel about this? Have you ever blamed someone uh, else for something they did not do? Uh, Were you simply mistaken about this? Or did you know the person wasn't to blame? But you blame the person anyway. How did that affect your relationship with the person you blamed? We all like to deflect blame for things we've done wrong. We need to understand what happens and what's happening in our life when we feel that we're not at fault. We need to ask the question of what are we going to do about it. We want you to think about the three problems with blaming. Why is blaming a bad idea? Blaming makes enemies of those we blame. Second, it keeps us from learning from our mistakes because we are not admitting we made any mistakes. Third, it keeps us from receiving God's forgiveness because it keeps us from seeking God's forgiveness now do you think there are times when we should blame others are there times when uh, we really are victimized by others I don't think there's any question about that but I want to talk with you just a few minutes before we uh, go into you have a paper there Have you made enemies because you're blaming someone for something they really, that really wasn't their fault? Or was it partly their fault and they're sorry, but you're holding a grudge? Who is it that you need to stop blaming? How do you think you might start making things right? These are questions for you to think about while we go over three scriptural examples of people who blame. Number two, have you been blaming others for something that you need to change in your own life? What is it that you need to change? How do you think you might start to take responsibility for this? Now, these are challenging questions. Third, have you been hindered in your relationship with God because you refuse to own up to some sin? Well, there's a passage down at the bottom. There's there's uh, really. 1 John 3 and 9, and I want you to think about that all the time. We confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Don't you forget that, because that is the thing we need to keep in the forefront of our mind today when we talk about this theme of blame, the blame game. We all play it. We all play it. It's not a question of if we do, it's just a question of when we do, because we're just all human. And chapter 103 of Psalms tells us we're just dust, and without God we're nothing, and and that we are just, that our nature is there, and we're quick-lived, and we're quick to change and go into another form, but we're going to make mistakes. And uh, the main thing in that 103, I wish you would go home and read that. Psalms 103. We're going to take time to read it. But that 12th verse, that 11th 12th verse, for as the heaven is as high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And Jesus quoted that blessed passage when he was teaching. And we all just fall in love with it especially when we're caught up in our own humanness. And, uh, you know, I want you to think about some passages here that uh, three examples, and you can write them on your paper if you have a pencil. You, You can just remember them. But I'm going to tell you three examples before we give uh, some what should we do instead of blaming. Uh, The first example is when God created Adam and Eve, and, and it's in Genesis 2, verse 15, through chapter 3 and verse 19. I'm not going to read all that. I'm not going to go through that because we don't have time for that. Because this lesson is to help us to control and bridle our tongues. One of our elders has said, Jimmy, why don't you preach a sermon on people controlling their tongues? I think it was a great suggestion, and this is a response to it. And uh, and it's really, I think, our, our, our tongue starts when we start lashing and blaming other people when we don't even know and haven't sized up the situation. But you know, it's just common to man. Look at the Genesis, the second chapter, and verse 15 through the third chapter and verse 19. I'm just going to summarize what happened. He created man. And he said he was good, and he was good. But he couldn't find anything in his creation that would be a, a helpmeet and would be a helpful person to him. So he took from his rib uh, side a rib, and he made his wife. And said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and and they were one. And then he said, here's a garden. You can eat anything you want in that garden except just one one fruit, and that is the knowledge of good and evil. Don't you touch it. Don't you touch it. Don't you touch it. Well, you know the story. Satan... We don't know about him except that he is out there and that he caused man a lot of trouble from that very beginning." And he said, Eve, it isn't so. You will not die. And she took the fruit she ate and she gave it to him. And God came looking for them, and they were hidden. And he said, Where are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Have, 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 have you disobeyed me? And he started blaming. He said, that woman you gave me? He said, have you eaten that He said, that woman you gave me? He said, have you eaten? He said, that woman you gave me? He blamed her. He said, Eve? Eve? Have, have you eaten He said, Satan? Satan? Satan did it? Satan did it. So he cursed all three of them. Drove them out of the garden and said, if you eat of the fruit of life, you'd live forever. Now, don't you live forever being in sin. Now, there's another occasion when God saved people down in, in Egypt in slave, As slaves, they were down there. And they'd been down there for hundreds of years. And they'd been around people who worshiped calves and animals, and all the ten plagues was a god. But you know, when they got out there and he went up and got the law, these people just got the jitters. And they said, Aaron, Aaron, where is Moses? Where is Moses? He said, Well, he's been up there, been up there for many days. They said, Well, well, you know, uh, they knew that he had delivered them from those ten plagues. He knew that they'd opened up the Red Sea and that they'd put them on dry land. He knew that they had had delivered them, but they, they were going to disobey. Now, they didn't know, they hadn't been delivered, that you shall not have a, a graven image yet. But nevertheless, they weren't revering their God. And when Moses came down, before he came down, they said, Aaron, Aaron, uh, we don't know where Moses has gone. That's for Moses and, and what the God that's uh, been helping him. Well, she said, now, uh, we have these earrings and all this gold that we got from them when we left. Now, we need to make us a golden calf because they did that for years there, and that's their God's. Oh, said, give me your ear and give me your gold, give me all your precious stone, and he just he just put it in, melted it up, and out came a cat. Moses came down and he said, "What is this?" He called Aaron on before him and he said, "What have you done? You caused them to worship idols, the god of the Egyptians." And he said, "Oh no!" He said, "He said the people, the people just pushed me into it. The people, the people, the people, the blame, the blame, the blame." And he said, "I just took your cone and put it in there, and it just came. Out came a big cat. Uh, a little bit more than that, but that's what the scripture says. It's just out came a cat. That's the way a man is." Now, in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter and the 12th chapter to the 13th verse, you have another occasion where the king could have had any woman he'd wanted, because the king could just have women, and he just allowed them to have. But he was out looking one day, and he saw a Baywatch scene. a lady bathing on top of the house. And he called her over and he committed adultery. And she told him, after she went through the cleansing process, that King David, I'm with the child. We'll take care of that. He sends to Colin Powell, equivalent, Joel. he was the calling pal of that day, and he said, send me a soldier. I want you to send me uh, Uriah. Called him in, and he said, I want you to go sleep with your wife tonight and have a good time. Well, he just slept out on the door. Called him in the next day and said, why didn't you go sleep with your wife? And he said, "You mean with all those people out there fighting the battle, you expect me to go be with my wife and eat and drink?" No, he said, "I can't." He, so he got him drunk, and he put him out. And he thought he'd go, he'd sure go home. He didn't. So he put a letter in his hand and said, "Joe, out. Put him in the heat of the battle and then withdraw all everybody except your eye." And he did. He killed him. Had him killed. Message came to the wife. She grieved, went through the grieving process. But you know what happened? God sent a prophet to Nathan, to David, and said, David, you know, there's a person in your kingdom that has a lot of of you lambs. And he has anything he wants. But he went over in a one man had one new lamb, the only one he had, and he killed that man and he took his new lamb. He said, he'll not live in this kingdom. He said, you're the man. And you know what he did? He got in the blame game. He blamed his evil intentions and his, his perversions of doing what he did. And he turned around and tried to blame it on the husband. And when he couldn't, he, he went and had, he, he had him, his life taken. And God just saw it. God sees everything. The blame game can't be played without God seeing it. He realized he was a sinner. When Nathan told him that, he said, i sinned. Now, Psalm 51, you ought to go home and read that because that is the psalm that he wrote when he realized his sin. Now, in closing, I want to ask you, what should we do instead of blame. What's the alternative? First, blaming makes enemies, but we can reverse that by giving others the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume that others are out to get you or that they are incompetent or inadequate or inefficient or any other ad- adjective that you want to use. The problems, your problems, don't think that your problems are their fault. We're just all human, and we all have problems, and we all have difficulty adjusting. Try to look at things through others' eyes. As I mentioned last Sunday and maybe the Sunday before in Philippians 2, don't look to the your own things, but everything to the things of others and value others better than yourself. That's what Christ did when He gave His life for us. Second, admit your mistakes. Admit your mistakes so that you can learn from them. It's all right to commit, to admit your mistakes. Whatever happened to you that you think that you're above mistakes? A lot of people can't admit mistakes because they're afraid that will mean that they are worthless. We are human, and we are worth, worthless without Christ within us. Some people think they'll be dumb, they'll be incompetent, that they will just worthless if they ever admit that they make a mistake. But the fact is, only human beings make mistakes and are sinners, and that's the reason Christ died for them. If you were perfect and you were an angel— you wouldn't be making mistakes. Practice saying to yourself, I made a mistake this time. But I'll try hard to make not make the same mistake. And if I do, I'll confess it as John, first John 1 and 9 says, and I'll be forgiven. Finally, remember now. Blaming makes enemies. Reverse it. Second, admit your mistakes so that you can learn from them. Third, confess your sins to God and accept it. Accept his forgiveness. That you're forgiven. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects us to work toward perfection. Perfection because He's given us the blood of His Son to cleanse us from all sin. And we need to claim our position in Christ, being saved by His grace and His mercy and His sacrifice of Himself. And when God sees us and we have faith in Him, He doesn't see us in our sins, He sees Christ in us, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And if you ever get that, you'll tell the story to many people. God doesn't expect us to do anything except to walk hand in hand with him, acknowledge our humanness, and act for guidance and wisdom to live above sin. We don't practice sin. We practice righteousness and holiness. It is the process that we're in today of living in Christ in Colossians, in Ephesians, and in Philippians. It is the picture that he gives that we've been baptized into Christ, we've been made a new creature, but we continue to put on Christ, and we we continue to grow and to develop. And I'll tell you, we need to understand that process. I want to close with with you turning to James, the third chapter, please. And this is the this is the cleansing process. Now I want to leave with you. We read this chapter. I want to leave with you this paper here, Examine your own life to see if you've been play, playing the blame game, and see if you've made enemies. Because you've been blaming someone else. We need to to build each other up. Have you been blaming others for something that you need to change in your life? I want you to ask that question. Think about it. Have you been hindered in your relationship with God because you refuse to own up to some sin? Now, the greatest sin, I think, that gets involved here in blaming is in James 3. I just want you to look at it. You know that the tongue is a little member. But my brethren, be not many masters knowing that, you're, that w- we shall uh, receive the greater condemnation. That means teachers. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word the same as a perfect man. Well, we're not, we're not perfect. We're going toward that. But we all will stumble. And is able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put the bits in the horse's mouth that they may bear us, and we turn about the whole body also. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, The tongue is a little member, and boasts of great things. Behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, and it is a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and it set on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell, and blaming Could be a part of it. For every kind of beast and birds and serpents and things in the sea, tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil. It is a it is a deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, and therewith we curse men, which are made after the similitude of our God. Out of the same mouth cometh forth blessings and cursings my brethren these things ought not so to be that the fountain send forth from the same place sweet water and bitter can the fig tree my brethren bear olive berries either vine and fig so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh water now who is wise and understanding among you endued with knowledge let him show out of his Manner of life, his conversation, his works, and meekness of wisdom, and that shows brings it right down to expressing ourselves. And here is the kind of wisdom we don't want to emulate. Look at verse fourteen. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. That's blaming. This wisdom descendeth from not from above, but is earthly sensual and devilish. That's all you have to know. Don't want a part of it. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. We don't want any part of it. We want the building up, the edification, the beauty of the wisdom that comes from And that's the last two verses there is is that. And forever do away with the blaming. Look at the 17th and 18th. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, and peaceful, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Well, if we could just emulate that. Isn't that wonderful? If we did, the last verse would be fulfilled, and the fruits of righteousness would be sown in peace by them that make peace. Well, the blame game. Let's not allow it to be a part of our life, but let's allow the edification, the building up of love. And the wisdom that's from above be a part of our lives. If, if you're here this morning and and you want to get into the body that really doesn't uh, doesn't lend itself to blaming and shame, then you need to hear the message of the Lord. Now we may step over the line and do it sometime, but it's not intentionally. And we just rush to First John one and nine. And we get rid of it. The person who continues in it is, is really is out of step. But if you want to be a member of the body that that doesn't live in blame and shame and disgrace, but in the positiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his person and in his eternity and in his wonderful spiritual way of dealing with life and dealing with the future, the eternal life, then you need to confess him. You need to confess that you are human and that Psalm 103 is a picture and that you want your sins as far from the east as to the west. You want them removed. You want to get into him so that you can rise above the shame and the blame of Satan and live with Jesus Christ as you confess him, repent of your sins baptized into him as we stand together and sing.